this is Graphic Policy Radio. This is a comics podcast and a comics podcast and genre entertainment podcast. And happy Pride, everybody. I am trying to have as happy a Pride as I can while also spending large amounts of time dealing with our New York primary election, which, as you may remember, is July, sorry, is June 22nd. Um, and, uh, as, as we've been slogging through the discourse minds of social media, I, I have to say this has been a, a hard pride. I, I should be really happy because I am finally going to be able to celebrate pride in person. I, I was one of the folks who just didn't feel comfortable going to outdoor actions last year, whereas this year I'll be out at the Dyke March and at the Queer March because pride was a riot. Uh, so I, and I'm feeling really excited about those things. But where the Internet is concerned... Um, it's not been a fun. It's not been a fun pride in terms of the discourse minds. Uh, from another round of quote, is kink allowed at pride? Quote, ridiculous bullshit, drummed up by a combination of 4chan message board goons and echoed by gullible youth who actually need mentoring from us old people. To your garden variety of biphobia made extra edge lordy from people who like to use big words. Um, it's been exhausting. And so I'm excited to uh, have a conversation with someone who I've known for having excellent discourse. Like, I, I literally had read some terrible things on Twitter and I said to myself, who do I really, who, who's going to have things that are going to make me happy that they're going to say instead? I know it's going to be the crew from Bitches and Comics. So welcome to the show, Essie Fleenor. Well, hello, hello, hello. What an intro. I'm like, all right, let's get some discourse settled. Let's, let's put some not- pins in them. We're done after <laughs> be, this year. <laughs> to be clear, like, this isn't just going to be a discourse conversation. Oh, no, no. SC is here because <laughs> they are one of the editors of an amazing project, which has been going on this whole month called Pride, sorry, called Decoded Pride. So who is Essie? Here's their bio. Essie co-hosts Bitches on Comics, which is one of my favorite comics podcasts. It's a pop culture and comics podcast. Essie is an editor for DecodedPride.com and QueerSpec.com. They are also managing editor of Bella Media Channel and at Redacted. Maybe we'll get to tell you that what that is soon. They write fiction, podcasts, novels, and short stories, personal essays, and articles centering on queer identities, feminism, pop culture, and literature. Their work appears in The Independent, BuzzFeed Reader, Vice, and Them.us, among others. They consider themselves to be professionally queer, trans, and non-binary. This is true. Welcome to the show. (laughs) I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. I jumped in early. I forgot that I was supposed to wait till you said my bio. (laughs) Oh, no, totally. But it really was just like... I need to talk to people who are not who I feel like are going to be in, in tune when the things the way I am right now. So mm. I know that there's a lot of people in comics who I think uh, want to hear viewpoints like ours and we are here to share them. I, I am your host, Ilana Levin, a.k.a. Ilana underscore Brooklyn, as they call me on Twitter. Um, and uh, I let's I, I actually because our listeners might not know your podcast. I, maybe you should give us a quick look at like what is your background in like comics and speculative fiction like as a reader who then became a creator. So I have loved speculative fiction on the down low since I was a very young child. I can remember seeing X-Men in theaters and being like, I did not know that you could tell stories that were this cool. And 
that's all I want to do now. And then I went to college and grad school and got trained in the serious arts. We talk with big words and have intense feelings, and that is what matters. And I hated it. And so I left academia and for a while worked in higher education, which I also hated. Sorry, anyone who works in <laughs> higher ed. Not for me. And then I, I quit my job and was like, fuck it, I'm going to be a writer. And um, that was an interesting choice. <laughs> and I was like, I have a novel, but <laughs> nothing else. No short stories, no essays, nothing. And so how am I going to get someone to look at my book? So out of necessity, I started writing essays. And I love being bi. It's one of the coolest things about me. I know some people are like, don't make your sexuality your personality. And I'm like, well, sorry, everybody hates it about me. So I got to love it about me. Okay. Aww, and that is, for real. Well, yeah, right. Like biphobia is so yeah. rampant. And so I mean, casual biphobia is just like, so overwhelming, let alone like heartfelt, cruel biphobia. And, and I say the same about transphobia. And so oh, yeah. I wanted to really figure out my voice. And so I started writing about what's the bi shit I like. So I wrote about some of my favorite bi characters for Sci-Fi Wire, actually not for Sci-Fi Fangirls yet that didn't exist at the time, or I wasn't recruited to it at the time. And then got recruited into Sci-Fi Fangirls, an incredible experience. And then you know how it is. They shuttered it in the middle of the pandemic. Thanks a lot, yep. NBC Universal, you dicks. Can I yeah. say dicks? I'm sorry. I mean, I just cursed endlessly. And yeah, that was a total dick move. Um, it was a really good site, and I really liked it. You guys did yeah, awesome it's, work it's, there. Thank you. Thank you. It was pretty defeating is how I would put it. So I, yeah, I, I fell in love with speculative fiction through, you know, probably Unicorns in the Rain, like a, I believe it's a YA novel that is about, uh, you know, the flood coming back for the second time, like the big flood. What is that called? Like Noah's flood? I don't know. Noah's Ark mm -hmm. shit. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Wow. I used to study religion. Now I'm like, you know, flood shit. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, it captured my imagination. I was someone who told myself stories a lot. I think it was a survival mechanism for growing up in an unstable household and in a world that was wholly hostile toward my being as a, a uh, I would say, boundary-defying human, as all we mm. are. Um, but yeah, I, I really found myself looking for ways to, to engage with the stories that made me feel alive. There was just a way that it made me feel when I watched a superhero movie, when I read Octavia Butler, when I engaged in thinking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that made me feel like I was talking about serious real things through a lens that I found really fruitful. So I, yeah, dove in, started getting more into that, got into sci-fi fangirls. Sometime before I started with sci-fi fangirls, I realized I had only read like one graphic novel and I was like, well, that doesn't make me a good literary citizen. And because if anyone tells me the way things are definitively, my goal is to be like, how are you wrong? Yes. <laughs> so yes. people were like, graphic novels are not literature. Comic books are not literature. And I was like, well, you sound like an asshole. So then I read like 100 graphic novels in a year. And comics, I don't really differentiate, in my opinion, are the same thing. They're just like a, one, you know, it's one continuum of things. Mm -hmm. And so I fell in love. I read 
you know, I read uh, Blue is the Warmest Color, which, you know, we recently did an episode on that for Bitches on Comics. It's it's still one that touches my heart. And I read, like, oh, my God, Watchmen. <laughs> and I read, like, everything in between and found that, I mean, American-born Chinese, which was is such an incredible comic. And, you know, there's just so many more beyond that. Um, and, and I found that what what I I felt alive. I just felt alive when I read it. And I felt like I was understanding things in a way that I hadn't before. And I think a lot of people have more like, you know, thoughtful reasons they get into things. And for me, it's like, I was bored. These things made me alive. And so I moved toward comics and speculative fiction. I still write literary fiction. I still love literary fiction and will probably always be somewhat involved in it. But there's just something that especially for me as a, a trans and, and queer creator, that when I can take genre elements and layer them with, with queer characters, I can talk through coding and through actual queer representation about what it means to be queer and trans in the world. And that is a really unique gift that I think speculative fiction, and, and, and I would extend that to comics superheroes. To me, speculative covers like all the weird shit that Mm -hmm. Language is so useful for talking about something that we have quite literally been forced to lose our language around, which is sexuality and gender. We have been forced to think of these binaries. Uh, you know, for a very long time, it was, you know, you are just straight. That's it. Or, or maybe if you're the right kind, you can be gay. But by oh come on, those those are just you know those are just those fickle, you know, greedy bastards, and doing it for uh, the attention. So so much <laughs> yes. positive attention that we get. Of course, mm, I love how my mental health is completely destroyed by all my privilege as a bi person. Delightful, and you know, and then as a trans person, we we. We have such an intense investment in the binary. I'm non-binary, as you listeners have probably noted. I use they, them pronouns. Thank you, Ilana, for always nailing it. And <laughs> I, I just, I knew I was non-binary very young. There were just no words for it. But then I saw Rocky Horror Picture Show. And this is why, like, I can never tell anyone what the first moment of uh, my sort of entree into speculativeness is because I'm like, oh, was it X-Men? Oh, was it Unicorns on the Rain? Oh, was it Rocky Horror Picture Rocky Show? Rocky Horror, yeah. But I remember looking and, and, and watching Dr. Frank Frankenfurter and being like, oh, shit. You mean you can be something else? Oh, I should not examine that thought ever again. <laughs> but don't you know we're not allowed to enjoy Rocky Horror Picture Show anymore because it's offensive to queer sensibilities, apparently? Oh, God. Well, I think I'm offensive to queer sensibilities, so got Thank that you. going on. No, it's hard. Like, all of these touchstones for people of our generation and generations that are older than us are, you know, operating from a different place than where contemporary queer discourse is at right now. And I just really hope that either folks who are newer to talking and thinking about their queer identity or just came out or are younger um, don't rule those out just because they might be coming from a different vernacular than like their ideal representation, quote unquote. Yeah, I mean, I think I have a lot of empathy for the folks who, who do that. I think when I... 
you know, had been out for a while and, you know, wanted to be authoritative about my identity. I was finally ready to like have opinions about what it meant to be queer versus just being like terrified that I was queer. My parents might find out and then hate me. I once I like was in that place and I felt good about it and I was out of the closet in most of my life, if not all of my life. And I loved myself. I was like, okay, I want to be able to say like things are, you know, right or wrong, good or bad in representation. And is mm -hmm. there a place for that? Absolutely. But I had my friend, my friend Ty, who um, is an author who wrote this really cool fucking uh, memoir that is totally uh, you would love it Ilana you would love it it's called uh, chemically enhanced butch it's by Ty Yule Ty was was hmm. an elder who you know took me under his wing and he was like listen there isn't a right way to be I think part of what helped me understand him is is his perspective of like he was a trans man who didn't tra transition until he was in his 40s he, he mm. had lived a whole life as a butch dyke and he had lived a whole life as, you know, being a lesbian. He had lived a whole life where he, he was, you know, maybe some flavor of bisexual, as he puts it. <laughs> and mm. the labels didn't make him feel freer. What made him feel freer was learning to live in his body and make his body somewhere he wanted to be. And that shattered a lot of the right, wrong, good, bad binaries in my mind or the like, you got to find the right label and stick with it. And I think it gave me permission to understand that, like with any words, <laughs> we're always just doing our closest approximation. This is all metaphor. These words actually don't mean anything on their own, right? Like they mean something because we've agreed they mean something. And so as we grow and change, those meanings can grow and change too. But it doesn't mean suddenly that everyone who uses terminology I wouldn't use for myself or you might not use for yourself alone. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that they are monsters who are hurting the queer cause. There's so much infighting in our communities because that's who we can defeat. That's mm -hmm. who's on our level. We don't look up at who's actually got their foot on our back, you know, and 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 we should, that's who we fight. I don't wanna create a world where everyone has their perfect label, they click on the box. And I don't wanna create a world where no one's allowed to find a label that makes them feel free. I wanna live in a world where both those things can be realities that coexist. I wanna live in a world where my crotchety old, you know, queer friends mm -hmm. can be crotchety and old and I'm down with it, you know? And I wanna live in a world where like my young friends who are queer can can be young and, and maybe be a little tender about their feelings. And I think there's space for all of us. And that to me is the point of the rainbow is it's supposed to be somewhere all of us can live. I love this. That's like exactly right on. And, and this has been such a challenging time for intergenerational queer conversations oh, because yeah, it has. we've always had, we've always had, you know, been told that any older queer person who wants to like talk to a young queer person is clearly being predatory because this is a homophobic uh -huh. This is how homophobia works. Like, so this is a thing that straight people made up to and to undermine our culture. And then you had a whole generation like genocided by HIV. And there's this huge generation gap as well as a result of it. And, you know, like if, if I'm Jewish and if I want to talk about Jewish stuff, I can talk to my relatives. And if I want to talk about queer stuff, like actually I don't have anyone I'm related to. So I have to go and like seek people out. And so there's it's with generational gap is like. It kills me. I um, I, 
I remember reading a Tumblr post a few years back where people were going back and forth talking about what kind of an alcohol-free queer space they wanted to have exist. And at a certain point, they basically invented the existence of queer coffee shops. And somebody just jumped in to be like, hey, I love that you just invented queer coffee shops, but we used to actually have these and we don't Mm -hmm. anymore because of gentrification and how businesses have been pushed out and Amazon and sort of explained why they're not a thing anymore. But it like killed me that kids like had to invent the existence, the idea of a queer coffee shop and couldn't even know that they had existed before. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. That's necessary. Like, oh, my God. Well, and that's, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, Ilana, that, that, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's, we're so busy being mad at each other for not knowing our history, instead of being mad that our history has been censored, instead of being mad yeah. that, that the, the cishet people in our community, not in our communities, in our world, are, are yeah. pushing us to not connect with each other. Like you said, it's, there are turfs going into chat rooms, going, chat rooms, what year is it, going online and engaging <laughs> with young people and baiting them into into conversations and discourse that does cause rifts in our community you know you mentioned should kink be at pride and it's like yeah fuck yes of course of course anybody who who is not only cis or het should be there that that's that's who should be welcomed and i don't think that you have to show up with a rainbow on your back to be welcome here in denver we Mm -hmm. have a pretty strong contingent that always marches and they're the witches and they wear all black and their signs are all about how corporatized pride is and they're a total downer and it's fucking great and it's like yeah we should have someone reminding of that am i two mimosas deep and feeling myself and feeling the sun yes but i'm never too deep in my feeling myself to accept someone else's truth and to accept what how that reflects on our communities I don't see what's so terrible yeah. about that. Why do I have to agree with everyone? Why do I have to see the world the same way as everyone? I don't think I should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um, So I wanted to uh, talk as well about Decoded Pride. And um, uh, it's, it's a sort of title that I think like you either are immediately, oh, or you're like, eh? So tell me, why is it called <laughs> Decoded Pride? Why is it called Decoded Pride? Yeah, well, we kind of danced around this, you know, talking generally about about queer history, but throughout both history and and the history of literature, queerness had to be coded. And particularly in the wake of the Victorian era, queerness also had to be tied to punishment. And so because of that, we have all this leftover fucking baggage we're dealing with. I mean, all of it, right? Like, you know, whether or not a fucking goddamn Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy are allowed to be in a relationship. That harkens back to that shit because we're constantly coming back to this. The queer, the trans, the fluid is abject, is abnormal, is anomalous. When in fact, it's like, that's actually nature. Look the fuck around. And we started Decoded with that name in particular because we wanted to give queer and trans people the permission to not have to code their stories. We also Mm -hmm. call it decoded because we also don't want to put the pressure 
that they have to perform their queerness. So we've published stories where I'm thinking of a story from last year that's one of my favorites. I mean, they're all my favorite, to be fair. But a beautiful <laughs> standout story by A.J. Hartson is called um, The Tank. And this is a story about a young woman and her friend who she finds out is an incel and who basically tries to force her to be physical with him. It is, uh, you know, it's it's not... You know, it's not good, it's not happy, but it's also not explicit on the page. I just share that because I know we got a lot of trauma survivors listening. And so it's this beautiful story. They fall into this tank and a supernatural shark comes and bites the guy in half. And I think there's some people who are like, well, is that, <laughs> is that queer? And I'm like, what's not queer about it? <laughs> yeah. A supernatural yeah. shark killing an incel? Very queer. Very on board. And I think that that's the other piece of Decoded that we don't always talk to with folks who aren't necessarily <laughs> um, in the family, like you, Ilana. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's it's supposed to be both. And I think the final piece is that we're allowed to decode ourselves. We're mm. allowed to be in charge of how we tell our stories. And I think that's one of the things that makes you know Decoded Pride so cool is that we let queer and trans people tell their stories their way. So even our editorial process is super collaborative. If we don't understand something, we say, hey, I don't I don't understand this. Like, what does it mean to you? Or, hey, I think this could come across like we have this great werewolf story about werewolves fucking by Dave Ring, it's called, and offering to the sun. And that's from this year's issue, mm. issue two. It is hot, 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 hot. And there was a moment where one of the characters was trying to talk about his, you know, or, or the narrative was talking about one of the characters sort of uh, internal battle around did they want to sleep with this person or did they not? And the way that it was phrased at first, I was like, you know, I worry that someone could think this was like not consent based. What do you think? Am I misreading this? Tell me more. And then, you know, the author was like, oh, I've got a great idea. What if we did this, this and this? And I was like, yes, oh, my God. And now the piece is incredible. But I think that's a much more collaborative process than most queer and trans people are subjected to. And the reason I know that is we had a, a really cool limited podcast we did with Decoded authors. There's just six episodes. You can check them out on our website, decodedpride.com. And authors talked about the kind of feedback they get from other creators where they're told or from other um, journals where they're told, oh, my God, Ilana, Ilana. Oh, my God. Like fucking yesterday, someone, a, an editor at said that a big pet peeve of mine is when a character is queer and it's not plot driven. Your your queer character it, should always it, be plot driven. <laughs> In this day and age. This was like a day ago. I am so upset about it. Like, I couldn't even tweet about it because everything I was tweeting was just incoherent rage. And I was just like, I can't even talk about it. But that's the world we live in. That's the world queer and trans speculative writers are walking in. This is a, a known journal that supposedly is supposed to be, like, welcoming. And it's like... That's one of your editors happily mouthing off on Twitter using the, quote, writing community hashtag. It's like that is someone who wanted people to see that. Good God. It's horrifying. Now I want to go and find it. I will send it to you. Did people respond to bash down this bad There were discourse? some very funny ones. Okay. <laughs> yes. I enjoyed, I read a couple of the responses and I was like, ah, no one needs me. They've got it. Um, 
<laughs> but it, but it's like that's that's common. You you hear that kind of advice all the time from editors, and it's horrifying. And and that's another problem is that we don't have a lot of queer and trans editors. And right. so our entire team at Decoded Pride is queer and, and or trans. I say and or because I know some people identify as trans who don't identify as queer. To me, I'm like, oh, it's a big soup. Like we're just we're just yelling words at each other. So we everyone on our team falls under the umbrella of queer and trans. And that is really incredible because it means all of our decisions are made from a place of how do we uplift and support one another? How do we show up for one another? How do we nurture writers so they write again in the future? The number of writers we've had who said, I got such and such feedback and I decided to never write again. And then mm -hmm. I got an email from Decoded Pride and I said, okay, I can write for them and delivered beautiful work, very exciting work that is interesting, hilarious, thoughtful, heartbreaking, horrifying, the whole gamut. And th that's what I mean, to me, that's part of what makes Decoded Pride so special. The other thing is, and forgive me, I'm just launching right into my thing, is that uh, every, you know, we include comics in the mm -hmm. anthology. So we have six comics this year. They're incredible. They range from a very beautiful story about an asexual witch who you know thinks she's alone and then realizes that was never an option we have a very cool uh secret agent sci-fi superhero agents of claw story that is so funny and so delightful and it's like agents like trying to infiltrate you know the bad guy's base and then the reason they're doing it is like omg that's so funny so that's a delightful piece and then the other part is that every story comes with an illustration. So non-comics, because it'd be weird to illustrate comics, because they're illustrated. Yes, yes. Uh, and they're all done by Sarah Century or the author. We have one author who did their own art this year, and it's stunning. That's uh, Sugar and Cece by Maurice Moore. And mm. Maurice also did a very beautiful piece of art to accompany it. I think it was our second story of the year, or of the, the issue, I should say. And that visual component is just really exciting to me. It, it, to me, it unifies things. I don't know why there's so many people hellbent on saying, like, speculative fiction is one thing. Comics are another thing. And I'm like, what if it's a Venn diagram? Like, what What if there's, like, some places where we can just say, hey, comic lover, hey, speculative fiction lover, I bet you also like comics or would. I bet you also like speculative fiction or would. Here, look at all of this. And so I think that's a pretty cool thing about Dakota Pride. Yeah, I mean, everything is really cool about it. And one of the things that I love is that you guys are actually being collaborative editors and like helping and supporting writers. Like, I having an editor like actually shepherd your piece and help you who like gets it is is extremely helpful and powerful. It's not also and also having to be someone who's queer, you know. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a huge gift. We all we all feel it's a huge gift, and we want people to tell their stories their way the other thing is we can't possibly know everything you know we do you know sarah and i are both white monica is black and jewish and we bring different expertise to the table and so you know sarah's lesbian i'm trans non-binary and bi monica's bi so we bring different identities to say like how do we talk about what it means to represent us as a community and that's why the the whole anthology is so eclectic and so unified though because it's about representing ourselves the way we want to be 
and it's honestly it's just an honor i even this uh i wish we could take twice as many stories every year every year we have to have this like four hour conversation where we're like we can only choose 30 <laughs> you can't you can't take 12 because you're one of three people <laughs> yeah and it's still i mean what a wonderful what a wonderful uh you know conundrum because it's it's about beautiful things that we get the honor of of shepherding into the world. I love that language. Yeah, I mean, how you, you this is clearly a ton of work cuz you're having one story come out a day for a month. That's like a long month. And it's an anthology where you've collected submissions and then evaluated and like made made decisions about what to run. It's a freaking lot. Yeah, it's a ton. Um, like what what is your what is like the submissions and editorial process look like from your end? Yeah, so we, the first year we did it, we had the idea a little late, but it wasn't late enough that we thought we shouldn't do it. In retrospect, what were we thinking? But it worked out. And mm -hmm. so we've, we've moved forward our submission timeline, and we'll probably move it forward again. But we're open for submissions for about two months. We put out a call, but it's very general. We don't have a themed... Uh, we don't have a theme. Maybe one time we will. I don't know. Um, but right now we don't have a theme because we think the theme is speculative, queer, and trans. And we really just want people to bring their their work that other people don't enjoy, that they've had a hard time placing, that is really tropey or is really trippy. We love weird hmm. shit. We're very tolerant of, uh, you know, stuff that is hard to define. Sugar and Cece would be another great example of that. And mm -hmm. so that that's sort of our process there. We divide and conquer. We divide them up between the three of us, read uh, whatever chunk of stories we have, and then sort of evaluate them individually. We come forward with our top whatever, and then we have our, our middle section, and then we have our lower end. And we sort of talk through them all and just like, is there anything that we are missing here? And so, you know, pieces we may have ranked higher or lower sort of shift and come together. We think about what all the stories are. So, you know, are we going to publish? And this is a weird example because I don't think we have any mermaid stories this year. But are we going to publish four murder mermaid stories? No, we probably should publish one max two. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how we make that decision is how do they come together? What do they look like? Unfortunately, a fair number of people still uh, disqualify themselves by writing things that are creepy, uh, loosely defined. So maybe talking about children in ways we don't think are appropriate or talking about people's race and ethnicity in relation to their genitalia which we also don't enjoy uh so you know it between that soup it's it's sort of a little bit of science and a little bit of magic so mm -hmm. come together have the big chat then we take in you know we choose our our 30 our first pass of 30 everybody reads each other's stories to make sure that we feel good about them Monica also makes sure to go through every story with a fine tooth comb as a sort of sensitivity edit, in addition to our, our normal editing. And that's fantastic. It's good to have, you know, a, a black by Jewish woman do so. She brings a lot of unique insight to the page. We're always grateful for that. And then, mm -hmm. you know, from there, we make offers. We've, you know, have sort of a little queue of backup stories we keep in case any of our offers don't work out. Sometimes we have people are like, oh, I just had it accepted somewhere else. Or, you know what? No, your contract doesn't work for me. 
uh, and then we, you know, come together with the final package and then start the editorial process. It is a a interesting time. <laughs> we pretty much are just in decoded mode from mid-April through the end of June. Um, mm-hmm. Usually by the start of June, we're pretty we're pretty far into things, and so usually mid-June things die off because we sort of like finished everything up. Then after we close out the year, so we release every story during Pride Month on the day that it, you know, is assigned and release that online. Then after the anthology has all been released, we go into the phase of putting together the PDF. It's a full color PDF. And then we also have ebook versions that we make available. And we have two different amazing people who help us lay those out. And it is, again, 100% queer and trans folks working with us. So it is really cool to get to, you know, either pay or just, you know, thank a million times for their volunteer work, <laughs> queer and trans people who put their time into making this beautiful thing come together. Um, issue one yeah. was so beautiful in the PDF form, and it is so incredible. And I also really, I, I enjoyed reading it on ebook as well. Great. Yeah. I mean, working on all the different platforms too. Um, you know, I, I know so many people who write queer horror, and there's like such a thing happening online where people who are because they don't like horror um, are critical of queer horror Um, like people who are queer who don't like horror are critical of the creation and consumption of queer horror and like claiming that it's dangerous for queer people and that um, like we all are just abusive or like that this you know what we need is therapy not like as if we're not also getting therapy what we need is therapy and not like uh you know like queer horror and um you know sort of implying that like we you know we talk a lot about like yeah like uh, one of the reasons that a lot of older horror does appeal to queer people is that we identified with queer monsters in those stories or mm. saw something that we connected with even if it's not like you know, I I was on um, uh, Progressively Horrified to talk about Hellraiser 1, and I'm going to be back on Progressively Horrified to talk about Hellraiser 2. And it's like, this is a great big gay horror movie. Um, and I'm like, it's not supposed to be representation. And I am able to enjoy this queer story told by a queer man, a queer director who's making this story about queer like themes. And also it's like full of SM stuff. And um, it's not supposed to be, like, something that's about how, like, great we are in identities. But it's also not homophobic. It's actually the opposite of this. And, like, just people feel, like, uncomfortable settling with the complexity of those questions. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, something that I've been thinking about a lot is is so often what we call queer baiting, what is subtext, is the most a queer creator can pull off in a capitalist society. There are plenty of queer and trans TV shows, films, books, essays, 
short stories, comics, graphic novels that have been created and either not been picked up and published. They might be self-published. They might just also have toiled in obscurity or mm -hmm. are, have a much smaller audience. Like sometimes I'm shocked by the things people say. Like I saw someone tweeting and they were like, you know what would do well? A detective novel about lesbians. And I'm like, that's an entire genre. Like there are hundreds of detective mm -hmm. lesbian novels. They're just most of them are published by small publishers. And that's what I think people don't think about when we use our critical thinking and our critical reading and bring it to the page. We're so used to doing what we were taught when we were young in, in you know, school, which is like about, you know, getting into the text and thinking about the text and then thinking about the author's life and how that influences the text and the symbols and the blah, blah, blah. And it's like, actually, no, we should be thinking a lot more about how capitalism is has a stranglehold on what we get to see. The reason we don't get to see more queer rep that's explicit, even in horror, even in good and bad, you know, representation. Well, I don't know. It's, Good and bad is not what I mean. Let me rephrase that. In horror, what we what we get to see so often is subtext because they aren't allowed to put the text on the page. They aren't allowed to show queer people kissing. They aren't allowed to show queer people surviving. And and we know this. I mean, look at how Jeff Johns had a stranglehold on all DC representation on screen. He yep. wouldn't let them cast a black man as Superman's dad because no one would believe that. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, we believe in a planet where everyone's like super <laughs> advanced, but oh, black, that that can't happen. And, and it, you know, and he did it with women and he did it with queer people and he did it with mm -hmm. all of that. And it's like, that's one fucking dude. You know why Star Trek is so fucking queer coded? Because Gene Roddenberry wouldn't let yeah. people put queer representation on the screen. So you're yelling at the wrong people. Don't yell at the queer and trans people who find ourselves, who survive off of scraps throughout fucking history and then go make our independent art. Be mad at the studios who don't think that queer people are worth representing on TV because they might, quote, alienate an audience. And it's like, well, yeah, everything alienates an audience. Mm -hmm. It's called art. <laughs> but that's also the binary, this false binary that I feel like people have really constructed mm -hmm. where either you're the sort of person who thinks it's like the pinnacle of queer achievement that, like, Loki is maybe vaguely addressed as being gender fluid in the TV show, like in a way that like this is obvious to us, but will never be obvious to straight people or you're someone or you're and like so either we're like somebody who somehow thinks that this is the greatest thing that's ever happened or we like have to only read the most avant garde published um, underground, you know, works. And it's like, actually, I can enjoy like this MCU stuff and also support decoded pride decoded. Like mm -hmm. I don't have to, I don't have to just choose one. Now I do think it's a problem when people give undeserved laurels to corporate products and make excuses for like, but there is not, it's not wrong to have a conversation about why I might enjoy the Loki show. It, you know what I mean? And like, I, it, and I want people to support independent works, but I don't think that it's fair to tell people like you can never read like a Marvel or DC comic, you know, because they're corporate and it's not going to ever actually represent us the way they need to be. And, you know, they won't ever. Um, I, these are just false choices. And it's, mm -hmm. I think it's important to have like a balanced diet of like all, all of the above. And 
I don't think anybody needs to be watching mainstream stuff if they don't want to. But there is some value to it in terms of understanding how other people are engaging in the world around you. Or like, I don't even, I was talking to my aunt, like back when Black Panther came out, and she was like, I'm not going to watch that movie, but I'm so glad that it exists for people. And I was like, yeah, like you could be glad that something exists for people. And also not consider this like the be all end all of black filmmaking and, you know, also understand that it was created within certain limits and also applauded on its own level, you know, like, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm deeply critical of, of everything (laughs) period. I can't help it. I'm a, a jaded person who's been through too much. And I still find myself sometimes having to remember that just because I see the world one way doesn't mean that's the way everyone else sees it. Like, um, this is a strange example, but Demi Lovato came out as non-binary. And I was reading through, I wrote an article about it for The Independent, which was really an article, like it was an entree into talking about what it means to be non-binary, which I really enjoy writing about. So I was, you know, I was like, uh, what, you know, Demi Lovato's got these high hopes, like, I'm going to help other people live their truths. And I was like, all right, that's what we all think. Come on, Demi. And then I, you know, read some of the responses to their tweet. And like, there were parents who were like, thank you for giving my kids someone to look up to. Thank you for helping me understand this better. Thank you for giving me a place in the world. And the other thing that Demi Lovato does that no one freaking talks about is that she also raises the profile of people like Alak Vedvanan. And Alak is a gender nonconforming, non-binary model who, you know, is in the mainstream more than a lot of artists who are like Alak, but also they are pretty censored because they don't meet our idea of what trans looks like. And they don't conform. And they don't and they don't, and they don't, and they don't, and they don't. And so to me, I just think there's always more nuance than we think there is. It's so important for people who have access and privilege to share their platform with important voices who wouldn't have the like. Um, yeah, completely. And like, I just don't understand why everybody is so caught up in false binaries where we're only allowed to either support um the uh, attempts at diversity coming from corporate-owned things or pop artists or what have you, or, like, you know, really independent for us, by us kinds of works. I I, I don't know why I have to choose between those two things. Like, I, I listen to Van Halen and I listen to the Downtown Boys. Like, you can do both of those things. It's okay. Absolutely. And you can pry Constantine from my cold, dead hands. I will always love that bitch. Uh, so, I mean, that's my way. I'm with you. Like, I I probably am a little bit less tolerant to some of the, the mainstream stuff than some people. But I also, like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to read the Poison Ivy graphic novel where she gets to be queer. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Why wouldn't I want to read that? And I'm also going to go read Vines and Roses, the independent zine made by people who love Poison Ivy and want to see her done right in the comics. Okay, I can do both those things. <laughs> like, And I actually mm-hmm. think they enrich yeah. one another. That That's the other piece I think people are missing is like, if we if we say one or the other, we're missing out on all of the, the, the beautiful ways that the conversation is opened where the two meet. 
And and mm-hmm. there's a reason fanfic's a thing. There's a reason fan art's a thing. And it's because we want to connect with these characters. We want to see them reflect us. And I don't, I guess I just don't see what's, I don't see what you gain from being militant about not or not consuming one or the other. I, I understand why people might be like, I've been burned really bad by Marvel and DC. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go back to that well. It doesn't seem like a good choice for me personally. Hell yeah, do what's mm-hmm. right for you. Like, I want that for you. But yeah. also, like, it's not one place. It's not one thing. Like, even even DC is, is you know, we got to talk to Yoshi Yoshitani, who illustrated I Am Not Starfire, written by Mariko Tamaki. And, and that mm-hmm. is an extremely queer story. And that's by DC. And it's not in, you know, the necessarily in the same timeline as everything else or in the same universe as everything else. Yep. But I don't need... I don't need to have a perfect shared universe personally. I it's I like it. Oh god, do I love being like, "Oh, this episode of Agents of Shield comes after Winter Soldier. Here's how you know." Like, yes, I'm a, I'm a nerd. Of course I love that <laughs> crap. But like it's okay. I guess I'm just I'm in a place where I love queer and trans people so much and I love what we all do so so much that that's I'm willing to follow people wherever that takes us. And yeah, Harley Quinn means mm. a lot to me. Constantine means a lot to me. Like Captain Marvel means a lot to me, despite her militaristic roots. You know, there there are lots of characters who mean a lot to me. You know, Monica Rambeau means a lot to me. And I just don't think that I'm going to get any happier in life by leaving them behind. I think that remembering who they are, reading what new representations they get, seeing them in the hands of beautiful, capable people like Stephanie Williams. You know, when Stephanie did even her short Monica Rambeau comic, it was just like oozing with love. And I was like, this is what we want. And, you know, Steph's a queer writer. Like, let you know, Vida Ayala makes beautiful things. Danny Lore makes beautiful things. Sophie Campbell makes beautiful Mm -hmm. things. Like, there's so many people we could name right now. And why would I throw their career away because they have some mainstream success? Like, fuck that. I love what they do. And yeah. they all make their own independent works as well. And that's the other piece right. I think people forget. Yeah. No, I, I that, that, that's totally right on. Um, I, I want to hark back to one of my earlier questions, though, which is like, I I feel like there's some pressure from younger folks generally against queer monsters as a genre. Um, And, you know, like here we are with like a queer horror anthology and some of the characters, you know, are the heroes and some of the characters are the monsters. And one of the characters and oh my God, I really, really enjoyed the... uh, Oh my gosh! What was the name of the story? The social media, the beacon um, of influence. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, guys. If you want to read like a modern update of the Cask of Amontillado, like here's a queer black like take on it. Like, please read the story. Um, what was the name again? The beacon of influencership, and that's by Monica Estrella Negra, who's one of our editors as well. Y- yeah. Like seriously, like it's fabulous. Um, you know, like the 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 
people in that are not on their best behavior uh, in incredibly, incredibly relatable, realistic ways. Um, yes, exactly. Like, how do you respond to those? Crit- right? Like, h- how do you respond to that? Like, there was a moment where I always said, she did what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, put her in that wall. Put her in that wall. <laughs> anyway. Um, well, you know, one one point I, of clarification, uh, yeah. the anthology is sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. So we, we have a good horror showing, but there's many other things as well that are yes, definitely not horror. that are not. This is true. Yeah. Um, I, mm-hmm. per- I have like a particular love for horror because I think it has a way of taking seriously how uh, awful things feel. <laughs> like things are bad. It's bad out here as a trans person. It is bad, y'all. I don't, I don't know how to tell you how bad it is. But it's like every time I open Twitter, there is there's someone saying something so upsetting that I have to close Twitter. Like I used to enjoy Twitter, not anymore. Uh, and you know, mm. that sucks. But that's life. And so I think horror allows us to like deal with those feelings. It allows us to say like, yes, maybe you are part of the problem. Maybe you can't be trusting. Maybe you can't trust yourself. Maybe, or maybe like your best friend will turn on you or maybe your actions will get, they will spin out of control in a way you didn't mean for them to. And I, I think there's too much pressure on queer and trans creators to create model queer and trans characters and the truth is i'm a fucking mess half the time doesn't mean i'm not you know a badass doesn't mean i don't have value in the world doesn't mean i'm not a good person but i do and say things that are terrible sometimes i was Mm -hmm. (laughs) we were talking to sophie campbell for the pod and i was like i'm kind of raff and she was like so you're an asshole and i was like yeah sometimes like sometimes i'm an asshole i'm just i'm being honest like it's not my i'm cool but crude yes right (laughs) like (laughs) yeah i have i have moments where i just like flare up and i have to you know do a lot of therapy and learn how to live with myself and be respectful and and treat people kindly and i'm not actually a turtle so i can't like just ninja fight my way through new york city um if i could i might though and yeah i guess it's just we have to why are we expected to be perfect to live in the world Mm -hmm. i would venture homophobia biophobia and transphobia Mm. why should we then expect our characters to be perfect i would venture homophobia transphobia and biophobia and why can't we be brave enough or why why are we upset when someone's brave enough to shatter that and say no i'm gonna show poorly behaved queer characters i'm gonna show what it's like to be alive and and make mistakes or do cruel things to one another like sometimes we are cruel to each other should we be Hmm. probably not is it human certainly yeah and like it's also not our job like fiction doesn't have to be instructional literature on like how to live your life um i i don't know if this is unusual but i like never like was like looking at stories as a kid and being like oh well i should do this because this character did like that just to me was like this is this is not that's not that's so stupid (laughs) Yeah. Um, which is not to say that the stories we read don't have an impact on us, but like it's not like a, you know, how to. I saw <laughs> Superman, so I put on a cape and jumped out the window. Like, right? No, 
Um, it, you know, and it's unfair to put the entire burden of proper queer representation on queer creators. Like, it's not like it's not fair to say that because you're queer, you can't do what you want, you know, because we expect better of you. And and straight people know, are I, in charge of most of the queer representation you see. It's like like they're they're doing terrible things all the time with queer and trans characters and i can't do something that he maybe is a commentary on that that is a response mm-hmm. to that that is a humanizing version of that you know danny laura and i were talking on twitter and and you know they were saying like hey like not like exactly what you said stories are not a blueprint for how do you live live your life the stories aren't supposed to have a moral lesson in them and you know, I know that Danny's an editor. Danny's also just the shit. And so I was like, Danny, you know, I'm curious mm-hmm. as an editor, like, how do you how do you address that with writers as an editor? Because I know what I do, which is talk about themes. Here, Here's what the themes of your story are. So, for instance, if all the women in your story are treated like crap by men and then eventually go back to those men who treat them like crap, your theme is women must be with men to be happy i don't agree with that theme maybe you don't agree with that theme maybe you didn't mean that theme that way but that is the theme a theme a possible theme and i'm being simplistic here but it's illustrative and 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 that's what danny said in response they said you know that's what i do too you know that's why the editorial letter is so important because we can talk about you know what are what are we communicating with the stories we tell and sometimes it's really subtle sometimes it's a big plot point but it I just think that so often we're like, is it is it good or is it bad? And it's like, those are not, again, that's not a helpful binary. And does it teach a moral? Mm-hmm. And is it teaching us how to be, you know, how we should be in the world? And I, you know, it just dawned on me. I feel like that's part of what, you know, the, oh my God, the MRAs, the men rights activists were saying about Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey the film you know it was so much about like she's a villain Mm -hmm. or even captain marvel she's a villain because she stole that guy's bike and it's like yeah oh my god like what are you even talking about like iron man literally sold weapons that killed a ton of people you don't call him a villain (laughs) like he is definitely more of a villain (laughs) and i love iron man in in the mcu i don't care for him in the comics if i'm being honest but i think it's just because i have a crush on (laughs) rdj it's not my fault and yeah so i guess it's just like to me it's it's that there's there's the purpose of stories is actually primarily to entertain (laughs) like that's that's especially under capitalism that's the point of stories Mm -hmm. and then you know there are tons of secondary goals but there to entertain and and so yeah there's going to be some stuff we we see that is as much a cautionary tale you know i don't think the 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 beacon of influencership is like go out there and end up with your friends dead and missing i think it's like oh like (laughs) social media is insidious like performing for others is insidious and changing yourself so that someone Mm -hmm. likes you is not a good idea Okay, those are all lessons that are helpful reflections on what it means to be alive, but you don't get that from the actions the characters take. You, know? you get it from like, mm, yeah, yeah. Mm, I don't want, mm-hmm, I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, I mean, and there's also like, uh, 
there's also certain stories that I want to hear from a queer perspective and that I have zero interest in hearing from a straight person, right? Oh, hell yeah. And, like, the, 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 the edgier and queerer it gets the more I, like, have zero interest in having a straight person tell it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's some um, straight comics writers and cartoonists, for example, who just do delightful stuff with queer characters, but, like, that's it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't Mm -hmm. want them, like, getting where it's ugly. Like, please, like, you know, keep on having your, like, great moments of levity and, like, also a lot of incidentally not incidentally a lot of the straight people who do good work with three characters like do actually have queer people looking at their work and giving them feedback mm-hmm. and have done their homework and have spoken to people um but you know so it, but it's like i'm gonna be happy to see what you know queer characters are doing in some of these like straight it's funny, like, my best example was always used to be, like, the Gillen McKelvey stuff, but Gillen's queer, so now I don't <laughs> have that example. But, you know, but, you know they exist. But they, but they exist. They exist. Um, yeah, no, I and, think that um, there's, there's just, there's a way that, I think that allies who care about queer and trans people can write great stories that queer and trans people appear in. I have different questions about them being a main character or a point of view character, but I don't have an answer. I just have questions. And yeah, yes, yes. And I think that where the mistake is sometimes, and I have to be aware of this in myself, like I'm an ally to lots of people that I do not share identities with. That does not mean Mm -hmm. that even, even if I think I understand the nuance of some of the conflicts within their communities, there's no way I truly can. I am an outsider looking in. And so it would be foolish of me, for instance, to write characters who are, you know, black or Latinx or indigenous who were having conversations about colorism. That's none of my fucking business. It's just none of my fucking business. So why would I try to get into that nuanced conversation? I, I should have characters in my stories who are black and Latinx and Asian and indigenous and, 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 because, and disabled. And because the world reflects that diversity, that those people are real. And in my world, the world I live in, those are my friends. They're, they're like, there. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't I include them in my yeah. stories? But it's not my job to have some yeah. fucking authoritative opinion on what it means to be black and queer. Like, no, I'm a white person. Right. I'm here to listen. Yeah. Like, you don't want to go where it's messy. Well, an example that was just so blind, you know, like really clear was like, you know, Gretchen Felker Martin, who's a really awesome critic and horror writer. Um, you know, she has a book coming out called Manhunt. That's a very much a trans horror story. And it's the kind of thing where, like, written by her, I'm like, oh, wow, that's going to be really amazing and intense. And written by, a, like, a, a non-trans person, like, not even, like, specifically written by a non-trans person, that would be a terrible idea. Um, so, I, you know, and I'm not saying that people need to out themselves before they write something, but I wouldn't feel comfortable reading, you know, uh, a work like that by someone who wasn't trans, basically. But I'm yeah, excited to I check mean, out her piece. I, on I'm it. definitely on on that page where for me it's I tend to read things that are written by people who share the identities of the characters they're they're exploring, um, especially point of view characters. Again, like I'm an editor, like I will split hairs. <laughs> so uh, I I feel strongly that there's just there's very little chance that if you are in a privileged position over the identity of the person you're writing, that you're going to really understand what their experience is. 
I agree with you. I don't think people have to be out to write those things. I just think that it it comes out in the writing if you're not not if you're yeah closeted or not, but like if you don't share that identity, it does come through, and like you end up showing your ass, you know. But also, like, frankly, like, for me, like, if you're not out, then you can't blame me for not reading it for being concerned that I might not feel comfortable with what you ended up doing. Like, I'm not telling you you can't do it or telling you that you need to come out. I'm just saying that for me, my personal thing might be like, I don't know if I feel comfortable reading that. Yeah. Um, And I and I think that's totally fair. I mean, that's another thing is I'm seeing a whole conflation of people talking about what they're comfortable reading. and people assuming that that also means that they're telling everybody else what they have to be comfortable with, too, which is not the same. And I can say, um, you know, for example, like, there's whole genres that I don't like or enjoy, uh, and I'm not telling other people that they can't like them. Like, that's not what I th- that's not what it means. Um, yeah. How, I- how have you actually, which makes me think about like, yeah. No, go ahead. As an editor, like, how have you been felt about the con- the conversation around content warnings in, um, in in fiction, um, which is, I think, a conversation where lots of different points have been conflated with each other, where people are not talking about the same thing as each other in the slightest. But um, <laughs> like, how did you guys make decisions around that in your own anthology? We have chosen not to do content warnings, um, outside of like ones where we're like, hey, this has explicit nudity or this has explicit sexual content. Uh, And that's more because we're just trying to cover our asses. I Mm. personally, and I think we haven't addressed it because we know it's an evolving conversation and we don't want to, we don't want a creator to feel like they can't go to a, a place that might be triggering if they would have to label it a certain way. However, we, we talk about it I, we, we just haven't made a decision. So I think as a, you know, as an editor of Decoded Pride, I'm very agnostic. I'm paying attention to where the conversation is going. I'm very intrigued. I would, you know, I, I, I don't know is the honest answer there. I don't know what we'll do in the future. I don't know if it's the right call not to put content warnings. Um, but that is what we have decided to do at this point. I, as like an editor yeah. in the rest of my life, I think that content warnings are really helpful. I think that the idea of codifying them into a system where someone decides what the content warnings are for a book that isn't the author or isn't readers mm-hmm. telling each other. Like, I think there's something different if like a reader is like, hey, I read this. The author didn't put a content warning on it, but here's what I saw and was triggering for me. I think that's just called, you know, being a literary citizen, you know, you're just readers. Like, of course, you should communicate about what you find Mm. triggering. I've given people a book and and I didn't think it was triggering. I give someone safe sex because I'm obsessed with it. And I was like, this is my favorite comic. comic. I mean, right. I was like, this is my favorite comic. Oh, my gosh. I hope you love it. I know you love all the stuff that's in it. And they were like, that was horrifying. And I was like, was it now? And then I reread it. and I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, I probably should have, like, given them a heads up of like what I was handing but that's an informal thing that's a different it's just, it's you know I think you're right there's so much so many threads in the conversation of content warnings then you know for the podcast we do put you know content and trigger warnings because we want people to be able to choose when and how they engage with things but we also sometimes are like mm-hmm. okay what when is it necessary we talk about you know sexual assault but we don't go into details or we talk about 
you know, being abuse survivors, we don't go into details. Like, you know, to what degree could this be triggering, you know, for me and myself as a survivor? What, you know, so I think it's, I think it's a gray area that, that is necess- necessarily gray because it's mm-hmm. newer and we're trying to figure out how to do it together. Well, like your story, which I really was enjoying, uh, which is called Anomalous, um, you know, it, it's dealing with a lot of themes around uh, pregnancy. And I am very, and I'm like, oh, God, I hate stuff. Up. Oh, but it's about how that's scary. And like, and like dealing with the way your body is taken as like somebody. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know if I'm up to read this right now, but I want to be. And then as I read it, I'm like, yeah, no, I could totally read this. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, granted, like, I, none, I don't have a trigger around this but it's definitely a topic where i'm like no i really don't need this right now mm-hmm. and then um you know i like i took a look and i was like but one of the reasons why um i was like oh yeah no i'm totally cool to read this is because i do think we are coming from a similar like analysis <laughs> of like what's wrong with society what's scary about bodies mm-hmm. like what's fucked up about gender and mm-hmm. all that other stuff, you know, like cis men writing about pregnancy stuff. Nineteen times out of twenty, I'm gonna be like, I don't, I don't need to hear Pass. what you have to say. Yeah, Fuck you. Exactly. Which, exactly. Which, which I will say, I just read Miracle Man for a Struggle Sessions episode about Miracle Man, and Alan Moore and Quo did a good job on that, actually. But um, he's that <laughs> he's that number twenty. But um, yeah. <laughs> Well, I think because that, he's like, yeah, this is fucking terrible. I'm like, you tell them, Alan. <laughs> this is horrifying and powerful. It should not be a thing that you're forced to do without consent. That's uh, right. Yeah, uh, for real. But I think that's the other piece, right? Like, I am really careful in the stories I write. So, for instance, one of the characters is, well, both the characters are trans in my story. One of them you don't realize is trans when you start reading the story. But I never misgender them. I don't think it's appropriate. For me, I will never misgender, except by accident, and then I hope an editor catches it. I do not misgender characters on the page, even if it's plot relevant. I learned that from Julia Kay. Julia Kay does up-and-out comics, and her most recent work is uh, Life in Transition. And so Julia Kay you know, documents her transition through comics and talks about it, and people misgender her, and they call her by her dead name in her comics. She never writes that on the page. She will put a bracket with a dash when they use her dead name, or she will show herself correcting someone to call her the right name. And that felt to me so clever and so honest about what the experience is. So sometimes I think about it like, uh, and, and, and you know who did a great job of this too is Aiden Thomas with Cemetery Boys uh, when the main character mm-hmm. Yadriel is, is misgendered we don't hear the misgendered name on the page we don't read the misgendered name on the page or the dead name on the page I mean to say instead we, we see Yadriel's response and that's what matters right it matters what happens to trans people not what people think they know of who we are and so for me there's transphobia in my story, but it's a different kind of transphobia. It's a different. So, yes, it's absolutely something that could be triggering. And I could put a content warning. But if I put a content warning about pregnancy, it's not really a story about pregnancy. Pregnancy is a vehicle through which the story is told. And so, you know, I don't know. I have lots of questions about how content warnings, 
you know, are helpful, what they can give people, where the limitations lie. So if anybody's out there and like, I know, you know, hit me up, talk to me. I would love to hear other people's opinions because what I know right now is the to- the discourse feels toxic as fuck around content warnings. Yeah. And I don't, when the discourse is nasty, I just tend to stay out of it because I do not have the mental space to deal with it. I am so busy. <laughs> I am like, I cannot with this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, Jay edited and had a really great thread about it and the difference between doing it for a course in school where you're telling people they have to read something versus the dynamic of just, like, for art that you're not requiring someone to read. Mm. Um, and I'm like, yeah, that's a thing, too. Um, I also art think is it's optional. Like, yeah, I also think there's, like, a difference between, like, things you consume in groups, like... I remember in, in college, I had to watch a film. It was, uh, oh, uh, it was fucking Dogville. Dogville uh, for a class. And there's like a really intense rape scene in the middle. And mm. my professors didn't warn us. We just like had to watch it all together. And I'm a survivor. And I went into straight up panic mode. Like I went into flight or fight in the classroom. And I was like, I can't walk out because if I walk out, I'm going to get in trouble. But I also can't take care of myself. And so it was just torturous mm. for me. And and so I think there's something there, too, about, you know, I'm just thinking about what Jay said. And, like, there's something about it being required. There's something about, you know, group experiences, like being with other people. Like, I can read damn near anything on my own. I can watch damn near anything on my own. But, like, if I'm watching, this is a ridiculous example, but if I'm watching something awkward, my partner experiences awkwardness really painfully. And so. Oh, Yeah. If I'm watching something awkward, I I cringe more. I cover my eyes more. I am like, oh, I can't handle it. But if they're not there, I can watch it fine. Hmm. So who knows? People are. Weird. I mean, I'm so sorry <laughs> that the teacher did that. Like, it's one thing oh, to yeah, be like, sure, awful. like show that movie, but like give people the option to not watch yeah. it and like don't spring them on. I mean. It just really unf- there's like nothing about the cinematic experience where telling somebody that in advance would make them not appreciate the movie prop like yeah like, you know I mean I think it's a problem if we're telling people like you can't teach movies like that at all but it's a different thing to make people have to go through it and yes that's bullshit agreed um so hey who's the thought that you know like some nuance maybe would be useful (laughs) in complex conversations what do i know um so uh well again like you know i just really think it's amazing how much work you guys have put together to highlight independent queer speculative fiction writers and cartoonists and like in work that's like accessible and like fun and um you know i think when i was younger i felt like so much art about people that shared my various identities was sort of presented to me in a way where I felt like being asked to like eat my broccoli. Mm. Um, And um, like, even if it was supposed to be fun, it never felt like it was fun because it was supposed to be good for me. And I've definitely still sort of struggled with that, that sort of weight in how I consume media, but mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, when I was a kid and I really resented that my, we were only allowed to have whole wheat bread, uh, I do now enjoy whole wheat bread. Like, I, t- I needed some time to, you know, run wild and 
you know, and, and now I enjoy both whole wheat bread and sourdough or what have you. But um, it was sort of like, I think that there's a bit of um, you're required to read this or you're supposed to read this or you're only a good queer person, queer person, if you read this, that sometimes can, we can feel like we're like brushing up against it. Um, and I, I would encourage, you know, people to definitely give the collection a check because it is not. I'm not telling you this is like broccoli. This is this is pleasurable. <laughs> well, yeah. This is not just because you have good politics, you know? Yeah, well, thank you. You know, we all, as much as, yeah, queer is our fucking thing, we also have ridiculously high standards. I mean, you, you've seen some of the work Sarah has produced. I mean, her story this year, Slipping But Not Falling, is incredible. It's, it's not quite out yet at the time of recording this, but it's, it's coming soon. You're going to love it. And, you know, I could say that about every single person, every single comic, every single story. We have ridiculously high standards. And I don't mean that in a way where it's precluding people. I mean it in a way where we say, yeah, your work can get here. If it's got the heart, if it's got the soul, if it's got, you know, it's interesting, it made us laugh, it made us cry, it made us feel something. We're willing to work with people on their work. You know, there's some where the work is just, it would be too much. But like even a piece that we rejected, I've been corresponding with one of the, the, the with the writer about like, you know, here's why we didn't take it. And here's what occurs to me. And here's what I wonder if you wanted to do a new version of it, if you could do this. And, you know, I don't have all the time in the world to do that for every single person. But when people ask, I try, I try to show up, I try to nurture each other. It's like the one advantage of having <laughs> dedicated my life to stories is like, I want to, I want to help other people connect. And I, and I think that's true of all of us. And it's true of the project. We want to publish things we love that make us laugh that make us cry that, that made us smile. We've got like such a cute story. We got a couple really cute stories. One's the necessary evils of survival by Una Briggs. It's about, it's like a, a trans story about a Naga, which is like a half woman, half snake. It's so fucking good. And then we've got this beautiful, romantic, urban fantasy horror story that is uh, by Robin Quinn. And it's in a place like this. And it's about a cute girl who meets a cute girl who, whoopsie, is a monster. And like, amazing, right? Like, who's what's not to love about that? So it's... It's fun, you know, there's is the heart there. Are we, you know, doing good work? Are we putting voices on the page that need to be there? Absolutely. And it's just really fucking good. You know, like, I think we're we're publishing stories as good as anyone out there. Woohoo. Well, thank you again. Um, and like, yeah, like, let me know. Uh, let our readers know the best way to get Decoded Pride online now and forever. Yeah, you can go to decodedpride.com, then you just click uh, read decoded and then you can buy or there's like a little link in the middle of the page, which is buy decoded. Uh, it's actually sold through our queer spec store. We have one store for all of our projects. So bitches on comics and uh, decoded pride. And then we have a new project coming out later this year, which is called Tales of the Sapphire Bay Hotel it is a narrative horror podcast in the style of an old horror radio show so there's voice actors scripts the whole shebang it is going to be very cool all that jazz we host from our queer spec store you can get there through the decodedpride.com store or you can go to queerspec.com and we've got some links there as well you can follow us on instagram at queer underscore spec and on twitter at at queer spec spec is just s-p-e-c queer is you know good old q u 
E-E-R. And you can also check out our podcast, Bitches on Comics, at bitchesoncomics.com or at bitchesoncomics on both Twitter and Instagram. We're fairly active over there. And right now we're in the process of sharing all of our stories for Dakota Pride as they come out. You get a, you can check out a teaser of any story for free. And you can check out the art that accompanies the story for free as well. But if you want to read the whole thing... You got to give us some sweet, sweet money. And that's honestly every penny of the sales goes straight to our authors. Right now, none of the editors are paid for our work. Um, Monica receives a small stipend for her uh, sensitivity editing that she brings to pay to the table for us. We are very grateful. But otherwise, it's just we're just doing it out of our pockets and in our free time and till midnight most nights. <laughs> Bless you. Doing it for the community. Hell yeah. So yeah, yeah, folks, support independently created queer art. And you can also watch Loki, that's fine. But also support (laughs) Decoded Pride. Like, one of these is a TV show, one of these isn't. Amazing! Um, You can do, you can do that. Actually, I should ask, have you watched it at all? I'm kind of like, this could be good, we'll see. I haven't yet. I like to let them get... A little far, so I know what the discourse is. Like, I, I'm not a big person who like mm-hmm. tries not to get spoilers. I love spoilers. I'm like, oh, good, okay. Like, ah. I loved having Lovecraft Country spoiled for me because then I didn't have to see a horrific murder on screen that was deeply upsetting. I was able to just fast forward it. Oh yeah. So I tend to wait till things are out and and then I go and watch them. So, uh, yeah. And right now I'm just like in a wild time, but I'm looking forward to at the end of June. I'm gonna sit down and watch them all i love loki so i'm pretty excited i you know i've one only one episode's been out at the time of this taping and i liked it and i i don't think it's going to uh change or shake up the genre or anything i mean we, we'll see but it was pleasurable um you know we, we will see how much queerness is allowed probably very mm-hmm. very little um but um maybe we can use it as a way to remind people about the actually more queer stuff that has happened with Loki in comics, perhaps. And uh, again, you know, we'll see. So as for me, I am on Twitter a little bit too much at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's Elana underscore Brooklyn. Uh, I am also very happy to tell you who the hell to vote for in the New York primaries, which is our most important election in New York. And uh, we're with Graphic Policy Radio, of course, on every podcast platform. As we like to say... Keep it geeky.